Here's the first thing I need you to do. Gentlemen, look at me. Ladies, look at me. It doesn't matter if you're a man or woman in here. Today, we got to get ready for something. We got to get ready. It's the year 2015. We got to get ready to work. Everybody say work. All right, so here's one thing I need you. If you're a gentleman and you're all looking prim and proper and y'all look good, I need you to unbutton your sleeves and just roll your sleeves up a little bit. We're getting ready to work this morning. Amen? Some of y'all are looking at me crazy. I'm being serious. Some of y'all came smart and wore short sleeves. Search, you was ready to work. If you're a lady in the house and you're looking all prim and proper, that's good, and y'all look good, and you'll still look good with your sleeve pulled up. All right? You don't do dishes with long sleeve shirts on. You pull them sleeves up because you got work to do. Right? So let's start unbuttoning uh, cuffs of the sleeves <laughs> and roll up your sleeves, and let's get ready to work. Because say this with me. This Sunday is my Sunday. This Sunday is my Sunday. One more time. This Sunday is my Sunday to be free. Today is your Sunday to be free, and we are fixing to jump into a series this morning called Free. And the title of this morning's message is Hostage Negotiator. Hostage Negotiator. Now, when I designed this message uh, at the beginning of last week, I designed it, and it ended up being quite lengthy in length. And everybody said, oh, goodness. No, I divided it into two sermons, okay? Everybody says, amen. <laughs> and so I divided it into two sermons because I believe what God is going to do in the first eight weeks of this year is so pivotal that I promised God this. God, I will not put you on my time frame. I will not rush through this series of messages. So it's designed to, to go eight weeks. And God threw that out the bucket the first week when I was designing a message. So we're going to set this up as a series that will set you free. And over the next eight weeks, God is going to give you a formula he is going to give you a process that will walk you out of every area that is in darkness and held captive right now and in the future. I am not giving you something that's good for the moment. I'm giving you something that's good for a lifetime. And if you'll walk out this process in every area of your life, you'll be set free in every area of your life, whether it's spiritually, mentally, emotionally, socially, financially, whatever situation is your life, God will set you free if you'll begin to do what I instruct you to do today. And so that's why I said, everybody, you need to come and get ready to work. Because I can pray over you all day, but if you don't want to work, you ain't going to change. You're going to come in here just as broke next week as you did this week. You're going to come in here just as messed up next week as you did this week. It's going to take you setting up the difference. Now, many of you see these props that I have up here. Some of you literally feel like this. You are enchained to something. You are bound by something. And it doesn't matter who you are in this room. It doesn't matter how big you are. I got my boy Ryan right here on the second row. Big, awesome, strapping man of God. And I could wrap him up in this chain. And as jacked as awesome as powerhouse as he is, I don't know if he could break that chain. Okay? And it doesn't matter how strong you are, some of you still need to be set free. This rope, on the other hand, it's not near as thick as this chain, and it's not near as strong as this chain. But I promise you this, even the smallest thread, when it's wrapped around you enough times, will set you into bondage. And you can't get out. And so all this rope is, is it's numerous small threads bounded together, that if I started wrapping you up in this rope, it's not as thick as the chain, but if I wrap, it up, wrap you up a million times in that rope, you're still in bondage in a cocoon, and you're not getting out. Some of you literally feel like you are in handcuffs, shackled, feet and hands. And you cannot walk and do what God's called you to do. Some of you, even this morning, feel like if God doesn't begin to do a deliverance work, it'll kill you. It'll kill you. Literally, there's something going on in some of your lives that you've seriously thought about suicide this past week. 
It's your morning to be set free. I don't make light of that term suicide because it's not a light term to throw around and joke about. But some of you have seriously contemplated over the past six months. And you're at the point of it not just becoming a thought but a reality. And God wants to set some people free this morning. So if we're going to walk in freedom, if we're going to be a part of what God's called us to do, to walk in complete and divine freedom, if we're going to do Isaiah 49.9 and say to the captives, come out to those in darkness to be free, the first thing we have to do is ask ourselves the true question. Go all the way back to Jesus and ask ourselves this question. Why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to this earth? A lot of people sit here and say, well, pastor, he came so we can go to heaven. Well, if he truly came for the only reason for us was to go to heaven, then the minute you got born again, you would have been in heaven. Not just your spirit reborn. I'm talking you, spirit, soul, and body up in heaven. So there's more to you getting uh, this Jesus than just heaven. Heaven's a part of it. It's a piece of the pie, but it's not the whole pie itself. Heaven is a great attribute of Jesus and why he came, but it's not the fullness of it. Some of you are thinking, well, Jesus came to forgive sins. Yes, he did come to forgive sins. He came to forgive sins, but forgiving sins, again, is a piece of the pie. It's not the whole pie itself. We must begin to ask ourselves the real question, why did Jesus come? Why did he come to this earth? Pastor, if it's not just so I can be saved and it's not just for the forgiveness of sins, why did he come? 1 John chapter number 3, verse 8 gives us this answer, and I'll be honest with you this morning, I argued with God about this verse, because I didn't want to put the first half of this verse in this sermon. I didn't want to put it in there because I wanted you to leave inspired, I wanted you to leave encouraged, I wanted you to believe, leave here set free for 2015, and as I begin to read this verse, God says they won't be set free unless you read the whole verse. They won't be set free unless you read the whole verse, and so 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, so whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. <clears throat> Everybody say, ouch. Everybody say, ugh. Some of y'all feel like you just got a knife stabbed in your back. <laughs> whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning, but the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. The reason Jesus came was to destroy the works of the devil. I need you to commit that scripture to memory. Here's why you need to commit it to memory. Because in the Old Testament, they would sacrifice a lamb. A physical lamb, spotless, white as snow, a lamb that went through great inspection and it was worthy to be found as a sacrificial lamb. That lamb in the Old Testament was simply for what the Bible says, an atonement for sins. The word atone means to simply cover sin. You know when you were a kid and your mama told you to sweep the floor and you'd sweep it all up and you'd still have the big pile and you'd have a rug and you'd sweep it and you'd lay the rug down. The rug covered the dirt. Was the dirt gone? No, the dirt was still there. The dirt was just what? Covered. So it gave the appearance of clean. It gave you where you could walk in and it looked clean. But the issue was still never dealt with. Jesus came not as a spotless lamb. He came as the lamb of God to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus did not come to cover up or atone for sin. He came to destroy the power of sin and destroy sin itself in you. That is why he came. 
So those of you who find yourself keeping on sinning, Jesus has already destroyed the power of sin in your life. He's already destroyed the, 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 the repercussions of sin in your life. That's why you want forgiveness of sins. It's a piece of the pie. It's a part of the whole puzzle. But he did not come so that your sin could be covered. He came to destroy the work of sin in your life. Thus brings me to the title of my message, Hostage Negotiator. Hostage negotiator. Jesus did not come to negotiate with the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. I put it as hostage negotiator because that's what many of us use Jesus as. We use Jesus as simply a negotiator between God and man. Jesus did not come to negotiate with the devil. He came in as SEAL Team 6 and destroyed the devil. Y'all know what SEAL Team 6 does. When they come in, they don't leave anything standing. They go in and they take what they're going for. They wipe out everything in the process and get out of there before y'all even wake up in the morning. Jesus did not come in to negotiate with the devil. He came in and he destroyed the works of the devil on the cross of Calvary through the ascension. And now he is seated at the right hand of God. So you live in victory and complete freedom in your life. I told you this morning, get ready to work. Get ready to work. Because some of you guys have got to understand this. Jesus did not come to negotiate with the devil. He came to destroy him and to set you free. You need to quit negotiating with the devil. You need to stop negotiating with the devil. Here's what I mean by that. Have you ever said this? Well, God, if you'll just get me out of this, I'll never do this again. You're not talking to God. You're negotiating with the devil. You're already setting yourself up to sin again. Many of us, we negotiate with the devil when Jesus said, I've come to destroy what the devil's wreaking havoc in your life. God, if you'll just do this, I promise I'll never do this again. Many of y'all prayed this in college. God, if you just get me through the night, I promise I'll never drink again. Y'all can laugh. It's okay. Okay, maybe it wasn't college. Maybe it was five days ago on New Year's Eve. I don't know. Now, come on. Let's be real. But it is time in the year 2015 that we no longer negotiate with the devil on his terms, we walk in the power of God on his terms, and we realize that Jesus Christ came to destroy the work of the enemy, and it is done. Sin has no power over you. It is completely annihilated. It is completely finished. You already have the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, upon saying that, some of you are sitting here saying, well, Pastor, if I got the victory in the Lord Jesus Christ, why in the world am I still fighting all these battles that I'm fighting? Have you ever seen a team that has already been eliminated in the playoffs? They still play the rest of the season. And people say they have nothing to play for. The fact of the matter is, they with inside that locker room believe they got everything to play for. They're not playing to win the championship because they know they can't. They're winning to knock you out of the championship. They don't quit on the last game of the season because they're not worried about them winning the championship, but they know if you're their rival... <laughs> And they can knock you, the Dallas Cowboys, out of the playoffs like it happened the past few years. Hey, rejoice. You're in the playoffs tonight. Hush. All right? And we're not giving the Dallas Cowboys a hand clap of praise. No way. <laughs> Come on. I love it. Y'all crack me up. The thing about it is, some of you wondering, if the devil's been defeated, Joel... If the power of sin has been destroyed, why am I still struggling with this battle? Because if the devil can knock you out of your anointing, 
If the devil can knock you out of your championship here in the earth, if the devil can keep you from achieving all that you're called to achieve, he said, I can keep more people from coming to heaven by knocking you out, even though I can't get there. If I can keep you from achieving what you're called to achieve, I'm not quitting. So some of you wonder why you're still fighting the battle. It's because the season ain't done. There's a day coming when Jesus comes back and the clouds will split wide open and we'll see heaven and Jesus is coming with everything he's got. Season's done. Until that day, you're still playing the season. And so get ready. He's already given you the keys to victory. you got to show up to play. You can't sleep through your day and expect God to give you victory. you got to wake up ready to play. you got to wake up ready to fight. you got to wake up ready to work. you got to come to church and roll your sleeves up. Some of y'all need to start wearing work boots and work clothes to church. Like you're coming ready to work. And watch what God has planned for you. So God wants to do some amazing things in your life. How is he going to do that? The Bible says that Jesus, the Son of God, to appear, appeared to destroy the works of the devil. That word in the Greek is lao, L-U-O. This literally means the act of untying or unloosing or setting someone in bondage free. It means the act of untying unloosing or setting someone in bondage free and so when the bible says that the son of god has appeared to unbind and unloose or set somebody free it's literally the bible says jesus came to see jeff t meyer and whatever's holding him back is to untie him unloose him and set him free from bondage that's why jesus came he came to cj and said cj whatever's holding you back i've come to untie it i've come to unloose it i've come to set you free He didn't come just so you could get to heaven one day. That's a piece of the pie. He didn't come so your finances would be blessed. That's a piece of the pie. Because when he starts destroying the work of the enemy, your life begins to look blessed because he's setting you free from the kingdom of darkness. And as the Bible said, it's translating you into the kingdom of his dear son where everything is heavenly. Everything. You broken-hearted people in here this morning, he's wanting to set you free from your broken-heartedness, but you're wanting to hang on to the memory. I'm telling you, there's nothing wrong with memories of, lo- of loved ones who have gone on. There's, I pray that you cherish those memories, but I pray that those memories that are keeping you in bondage, you'll get set free from the bondage and maintain the memory. Amen. It's possible. We do it all the time. We set people free from it. So you must begin to be set free in every area of your life. Jesus came to do that. He said, I have come to destroy, to unbind, untie, and unloose, to set you free from whatever you experienced in the past of your life. And so it's time to stop all negotiations. It's time to stop all compromises. It's time to stop compromising the glory that God has for you in the year 2015 because you want to hang on to what happened in 2014. And because your job was good in 2014, you've already set yourself up for bondage in 2015 because God's trying to bring you to greatness But you're wanting to stay where it's just been good. God wants to set some people free. And he came to destroy the work of the enemy. Completely annihilate it. Now let me tell you a little bit about how the enemy begins to work. The mind is the primary area that the devil seeks to attack. It's the primary area that the devil seeks to attack and work in. If he can control your thinking, he controls you. If he controls your thinking, he controls you. The devil holds you hostage when in your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, he can hold you, if, if the devil can hold you hostage in your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, he can hold you hostage in any of the areas of your life and you'll never be free. I don't know how many times the devil has held me hostage in my emotions when I drive down the road. Come on now. 
I ain't the only one. Somebody drives and cuts you off. My emotions start working overtime. My face gets red. I get angry. And because he got my emotions, right? Because he got my emotions, he then had my mind. Because what went through my mind was, oh, bless their, was not, oh, bless their heart. <laughs> it was, Lord, bless them. Can you not teach people how to drive? <laughs> Don't laugh because y'all said that about my driving. All right? And so when the gets an area of your life, the area of the soul, that's the only area the devil operates. Do you understand that? He operates in the area of the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotion. That's his realm of operation. It's not the spirit because you're a born-again spirit made new in Christ. You've been seated with Christ in heavenly places where the blessing of God already is. So he, he's made you new. You're seated with Christ spiritually. And so your area of the soul, that's the area he attacks your mind, your will, and your emotions. And some of you are so emotionally driven that the devil knows he just got to do something little to get you emotional. And when you make, get emotional, you'll get set up to make a bad decision in the area of your mind. And some of you... When he gets into your area of your mind, you start thinking, you start making decisions. Have you ever gotten in trouble at work? Rightfully so, you should get in trouble at work sometimes. And nobody said amen. amen. Right? Rightfully so that you walk in 10 minutes late to work every single day. And your boss says, it's time that you start coming to work on time. And immediately in your mind, you start thinking, well, he doesn't know what I got to go through every single Monday morning to get my kids up and ready for school and going to work, and I'm a single mom or I'm a single dad, and yet your mind starts going overdrive, and then you make a determined situation, you go, I will show him. Hmm. <laughs> Is any of that of God, do you understand how if the devil can get in the area of the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions, he has you. Because when he can start making you think emotionally or carnally in the area of your mind or can make you start making decisions based on the area of, of, of a vow that is ungodly, he's got you. He's got you. And then from that point on, he just sits back and laughs because you don't even realize that five days from now, that little thing that he just got inside of you with your mind, your will, and your emotions, it begins to manifest in something else and something else and something else. And so he, God has come, Christ has come to set you free in every area of your life. So the devil's main realm of operation is the area of your soul, the mind, and your will, and the emotions. Get this, Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as a man thinketh in his heart, the area of the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions, so is he. Some of you, because you think of yourself negatively all the time, you wonder why life ain't good. Everything is life is bad. As a person thinks in his heart, so is he. When you'll start thinking, I'm an anointed child of God, I'm a son of the king, I've been born into a new kingdom, I'm seated with Christ Jesus in heavenly places, I'm above and not beneath, I'm a head and not the tail, I'm the victor, not the victim, I'm the overcomer, not the overcome, you'll have a different perspective on life. Some of you have been playing the victim role way too long and God wants to set you free from being a victim. And I don't care what past church hurts you've had. You've made the excuse, I'm never joining another church because of the way that one pastor back in 1953 did this. Really? And you'll come to church, but you won't commit. You won't commit. You just sit back there and say, well, God, you have to do it, and you can do it even if I'm not a member. Whatever. I mean, get set free. Why do you want to live a miserable life like that? 
Get set free from these things. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed, oh, I love this, to the pattern of this world. But everybody say transformed. Be transformed by the changing or the renewal of your mind. By that testing you may discern what the will of God is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Satan's goal is to plant a stronghold of deception somewhere in your mind. He wants to do to you the same thing he did to Eve in the Garden of Eden. He went to Eve in the Garden of Eden and said this. This is what he said. He said, did God really say that if you ate this, you would die? He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't lie to her. He asked her a question. He never lied to her. He asked her a question. He got her to question the authority of God. And that's what he does to many of you. Well, you know, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let your grandmama die when you were a baby. When you were five years old and you loved your grandpappy so much and, and God let him die. You see how he does it? Plants a little bit of deceit in there. He just plants some deceit in there to get you running in the wrong direction. To get you questioning how much God loves you. God sent his one and only son for you. How do we question how much he loves us? Because you didn't get the parking space at the front row of Walmart when you were tired and you questioned God's love for you. I mean, I've heard people say it. Well, God, if you just love me, you'll give me a front row parking place. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting here thinking, if that's how you judge the love of God and gauge the love of God, we got issues that God wants to set you free from. Now, don't get me wrong. I pray for front row parking places all the time. <laughs> but when I don't get them, I don't get mad. It's probably God saying, Joel, you need to walk a little bit today. <laughs> So now get this, we've got to begin to understand that we need to be transforming the renewal of our mind because Satan's goal is to plant a stronghold of deception in some area of your mind. If he's successful at that, he will control and manipulate and hold you hostage in, a life, in, in, in your life. Now get this, the verse we read last week in Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. That means you being able to question God without validity. Did God really say you would die if you ate this fruit? Make sure nobody takes you captive by those things. Is there really a God? That's the question in the secular world. Is it, does God really exist? Don't let anybody take you captive by empty deceit. Don't even let them go that road with you. Don't even indulge in conversations like that. You show them there's a God by the way you live, the way you believe, by the way you walk, and by the way you talk. And you live it out in front of them. See that nobody takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ Jesus. There are two sides of warfare that we're going to talk about over the next eight weeks. Two sides of warfare that we're going to talk about. The first side is uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 or 10 through 20, whatever you want to do. It's the full armor of God. We'll talk about that a little bit towards the end of the series. Touched on it a little bit today. The side we're going to talk about this morning is side number two. It is more than just what the devil does. It is literally the battle that we have with the flesh. It's the battle you fight with the flesh every day. We've got to realize that we're battling a lot more than the devil. We're battling with our flesh. One, of the major, one major element is battling the devil. The other, obviously, is our flesh. The way we take control of this warfare that we're in is, number one, you begin to renew your mind. Number two, you begin to crucify the flesh. Everybody say, uh. You begin to crucify the flesh. So the one way you begin to win this battle is you begin to renew the mind. The second way is you begin to crucify the flesh. The truth point of this is the devil's attacks on your lives would not work if your flesh did not cooperate. Yeah. 
truth point, the devil's attacks on your life would not work if your flesh did not cooperate. Some of you in the very new year, and I'll use a funny illustration this morning, and some of you in the new year started out with your resolution is, I am fixing to get the best body of my life. I'm going to start working out, just like you said the past five years. I'm going to start eating right. I'm going to start doing right. I'm going to start living right. And you got great intentions. But see, the funny thing is that somebody else at your workplace said, you know what, this year I'm going to choose and I'm going to prove that, that, that God's calling me in my life to be generous. I'm going to believe God that I can be generous this year. So both of you show up to work tomorrow morning. They bring donuts and you call them the devil. But right? You both made godly faith declaration decisions. You're going to have a healthy lifestyle. There, there's a need in the body of Christ for us to get healthy and have a healthy lifestyle. Because if you die at age 56 when you're supposed to live till 76 because you didn't take care of your health, man, you missed 20 years of the anointing of God that you're supposed to be bringing people to the kingdom. There's a need for being healthy. There's also just a greater need for being generous in the body of Christ. And because this person said, this year is my year of generosity, and you said, this year is my year to get healthy, she's mad at her because you didn't take her donut, and you're mad at her for bringing donuts, and all y'all are blaming the devil, and it's nothing but your flesh. Amen. Had nothing to do with the devil. You both were doing godly things. You were being generous. You're trying to be healthy. But because you walked in and saw donuts, there, you said, get thee behind me, Satan. Satan had nothing to do with that. Satan had absolutely nothing to do with them donuts being on the counter. People bring donuts up here to church. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You want to know why? Because it's a cheat day. Cheat day. I believe in getting healthy, but I'm working on the cheat days. And so you got the donuts here, and you're saying, get thee behind me, Satan. It has nothing to do with Satan. And so you walk by, and automatically you just grab a donut and start eating. The devil made me do it. And, you, and I just walked by a plate of cookies and I gained five pounds. No, you don't. You gained five pounds because you ate 25 cookies. <laughs> you ate them. The devil didn't make you eat them. He didn't grab your hand and stick a cookie in your mouth with a whole glass of whole milk. <laughs> Y'all, okay, I'm telling on myself. He didn't do it. The truth of the matter is you must learn to begin to crucify your flesh. You must learn to say no to those things you need to say no to and give the woman a hug who brought the donuts and praise her for being generous, just not generous to you. Amen. Encourage her. It had nothing to do with the devil. <laughs> and so many times in the body of Christ, we are so busy blaming the devil for things he had nothing to do when we as the body of Christ, 90% of the battle, if we will crucify our flesh and become disciplined as believers, we will eliminate 90% of the battles. And, and in the body of Christ, crucifying the flesh is everything. I read five scriptures last week, and I'll read all five of them again next week because it'll be very pertinent to next week's message. Of Jesus said, if you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Galatians 2.20 says this. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives within me. And if you've been crucified with Christ and you no longer live and it's Christ that lives within you, you must begin to live, now hear, hear this, you must begin to live in the Spirit of God with Christ living, but you being dead. That doesn't mean your personality dies. 
That doesn't mean who you are is dead because you're fearfully and wonderfully made. God made you the way you are for a reason. He wants your, your life to be blessed in every way. But you've got to learn to say no to your selfish, fleshly, lustful desires. And we make fun of it when we're talking about donuts, but it's not so funny when it's really the alcoholic father who can't seem to get over alcohol. And it's not so funny when it's the mom who's addicted to prescription drugs because her kids have drove her nuts. Come on. So I saw a bunch of moms just like, oh, Lord Jesus. He done bit in my prescription cabinet. It's not funny when the lady has been praying to get undepressed and off depression medicine and she can't do it. It's not funny then. It's not funny when the marriage is being shattered because the man can't get off pornography. It's not funny. It's not funny when the couple can't get along because they both have lavish spending habits and their finances are in disarray. It's not funny. And I can make funny analogies, but the truth of the matter is it's not the devil that made us do it because he's dead and defeated. Jesus Christ didn't atone for sin. He destroyed the sin. He unbound you. He let you loose. Therefore, what he did spiritually, you got to start making decisions in the flesh to walk it out. You can come up here and spiritually be delivered from cigarettes, lay them on the altar, but when you get back in that car, the first thing you're going to do is try and pull one out and light one up because it's what you always do. Right? It's what you always do. You're going to have to change some habits in your life. You're going to have to crucify your flesh. A lot of it comes down to you making an anointed, powerful decision. Now get this. When you make a quality decision with the power of God, you have God on your side. Heaven, Jesus Christ already died for you. All the angels are pulling for you. And you got every bit of heaven at your back wanting you to use it to succeed. But heaven is powerless if you choose to do something different. All of heaven is powerless if you're picking up that donut because you decided. You must crucify your flesh. And in the moment of weakness, say, Jesus, I'm crucifying my flesh. I'm at a weak spot. I'm at a weak spot. The Bible promises you a way out. The Bible promises you a way out. The Bible says this. No man has, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. But even in that, God will provide a way out. He'll provide it. Most people misinterpret that verse and say, God will never put more on you than you can handle. That's not in the Bible. In fact, is it's just the opposite. If, it's, if you can handle it, you don't need God. And I'm not saying your problems are so big and they're all from God. Your problems are there because of your flesh. God's got a faith walk for you that you can't handle, that I can't handle the faith and the vision God has for this church. So I need to depend on him and let him do it through us. In this, you must understand that you have to crucify your flesh and when you crucify your flesh you become dead men now if you're writing this down and taking notes which you should be here are three important things about dead people three important things about dead people number one is dead people cannot respond to demonic suggestions dead people cannot respond to demonic suggestions here's what i mean by that you're driving down the road and you got that alcohol problem and the demonic suggestion is pull in get some that's a demonic suggestion Maybe you got a lust problem, you're walking through the store, men and women, you see somebody of the opposite sex walk by, and it's not, oh, they're pretty, it's like, oh. Demonic suggestion. You got, suggestions are there all the time. Dead men can't respond to a suggestion. You're scrolling through the internet, and oh, there's this link of something that looks innocent, and it comes up, and it's something that's not innocent. You can immediately click on it, and I don't believe that's a sin if you truly did it in and, and innocence when you click down the link and you can repent and delete it but if you're like oh oh demonic suggestion 
Dead men cannot respond to demonic suggestions. Because understand this, the minute you say, I've crucified myself and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives, the minute that website comes up, Jesus pops up and says, get thee behind me, Satan, and you have the power at that moment to click it off. Because everybody knows that the minute the temptation came or the suggestion came, you automatically had this thought, drive on by. But then your mind started working and you started entertaining thoughts. (laughs) I know how this works. I'm not dumb. I'm a pastor. I'm not exempt from these things. Right? So this is how the process works. Dead men cannot respond to demonic suggestions. They can't do it. Dead men also can't respond to fleshly temptations. Demonic suggestion turns to fleshly temptation the minute you make the decision, hmm, do I entertain this or don't, don't I? Oh, God bless the woman who brought donuts. She's being generous this year. But then you go back and you just smell them. I, I love this line out of a cartoon, and I'm not going to tell it myself, but tell them. It was like, but I wasn't going to eat it. I was just going to taste it. Right? Same thing. Demonic suggestion turns into fl- fleshly temptation. Dead men can't respond to fleshly temptation. I've crucified my flesh. I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. I'll never forget uh, this testimony. I didn't give it first service, but I'll give it now. Uh, A young man came up to me about eight years ago when we first got in this building and says, Joel, I was going to kill myself last night. I was going to kill myself last night. Literally, I was ready to end it because I was done. I was done with life, but I could not do it. And I said, well, what, what happened? He said, Because I don't belong to myself. I belong to Jesus. I was bought with a price. And I don't belong to myself. I've been dead to myself. And I belong to him. So I couldn't even kill myself because I had enough in me to realize that I don't even belong to me. Some of us need to get that mindset. You don't belong to you. You've crucified yourself and you no longer live. And it's Christ that lives in you. And listen, if you'll begin to live a lifestyle where you are dead to demonic suggestions and you are dead to fleshly temptations, you'll be, you'll be amazed how quick you get set free from issues. The next time your stepkid begins to act up, right? Step parents and stepchildren have issues all across the board. The next time they begin to act up and you want to unleash on them as the stepparent, you don't live. It's Christ that lives in you. And you need to ask God for a godly way to minister. Even in the midst of tumultuous situations. Dead men can't respond to demonic suggestions. Dead men can't respond to fleshly temptations. Dead men are incapable of responding to anything. This is the power of a crucified life. A lot of people say, God, it would be so easy if you just took all the temptation away. Impossible. The world is still fallen. The world is still broken. That's why he said, I'm creating a new heaven and a new earth. And that is all coming. But until that day comes, your prayer of God remove all temptation isn't going to happen because of the world that we live in. But what can happen is if you say, God, help me crucify my flesh. That way I'm not even tempted. That can happen because dead men can't respond to demonic suggestions and fleshly temptations. Dead men are able to live freely in Christ Jesus. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives in me. This week, some of you, God's going to quicken your spirit several times throughout the week where you're going to have to get used to this uh, of you saying, no flesh, no flesh. No flesh, no flesh, flesh, I said no, (laughs) right? And you literally need to start doing this, flesh, hell, no, flesh, hell, no, and heaven, yes. 
I'm saying no to the fleshly hell that you're wanting me to come into. I'm saying yes to the heavenly thing that God's calling me into in Christ Jesus. I am saying no to the flesh. So you're saying flesh and hell? No. And that's not a bad word as a believer. Some of y'all believers think, so you think, well, I just can't tell people no. No, you need to tell some people no. Amen. Best thing to tell your friends is no sometimes because you're not going out. You're going to spend time with your wife and kids Amen. or your husband and your kids. Amen. Discover card calls and you've been praying for a financial increase and they increase your credit limit. You need to say, hell no. <laughs> Come on. I didn't say cuss at the lady on the phone. Don't even go there. Don't even say it, church. My pastor said to tell you. No, I didn't. I did not say it. I said you to tell your flesh. No. That is not how God brings financial increase. I know I've lost everybody when my wife can't quit laughing. Here's the thing. The real enemy... The real enemy is not the devil. He's already defeated. The real enemy is you. I am Joel T. Meyer's greatest enemy. The uncrucified Joel T. Meyer, the uncrucified flesh is Joel T. Meyer's greatest enemy. My greatest enemy is me. Because when my fleshly says, Joel, you've studied enough for this week. The sermon's going to be good enough. There should be something that goes off in my spirit that says, hell no. God's got more. Because whenever the flesh wants you to quit, the spirit's on the verge of a breakthrough. Whenever the flesh wants you to compromise, the spirit's on the verge of bringing you to a new level. Whenever the flesh wants you to stop, the spirit's on the verge of propelling you forward into something good for God. And God is desiring to get this church out of good and to get this church to an area of great. But so long we've settled for just good, it's time that we say hell no to good. And yes, God, we are going to be a church that is great in your sight, great in your eyes. And we will start it in our own personal lives by crucifying our own flesh. And here's the greatest part of all of it. You can start right now, right here, this morning. Yes. It's that easy. And you know, before church, the, the staff and, and some elders were praying in, in our pre-service meetings. And what we prayed for, we prayed for something called spiritual janitors to come. And that the chains that fall off you, the bondages that fall off you, the addictions that fall off you, and you leave here, that they come by and sweep them up so when you get ready to go back to your seat, you don't look around to try and pick your junk back up. We prayed that God would just begin to remove it as far as the east is from the west. Get it out of here. Because when you leave, we don't want you leaving with junk. We don't want you leaving with bondages. We don't want you leaving with baggage. We want you leaving free.